Hey, mate, I realize I got the, the wrong title up on my stream. But anyway, the title I, I meant to put up is people, people virtually never mean what they say. So if you are taking offense at things people are saying, then there's no need to do that, right? Because people almost never say what they mean. And so you get this literalist news media coverage. It's like, oh, my God, you've got all these Republicans engaged in election denial. It doesn't mean anything. It's posturing, just like it didn't really mean much when, when Democrats were arguing that the 2016 elections were fixed. All right? If people said what they meant, they would be saying things like, you know, F this outgroup. Right? If people said what they meant, right, they'd talk about how much they loathe outgroups. They'd go off on blacks and whites and Asians and gays and homosexuals and trans and straights and adulterers and fornicators. Right? People would be going off on their neighbors if they meant what they said. People would be going off on their friends, on their family, on their bosses. It would just be a constant stream of F this group, F this person, F them. They should all go to hell. They can burn in hell for all I care, right? That's what would happen if people said what they meant. But people almost never say what they mean. And people almost never mean what they say. And so this literal-minded mean uh, news media approach that, oh, my God, you've got all these Republicans running as election deniers. It has virtually no significance, right? We, we got a taste in Los Angeles over the past two weeks about what happens in the real world. In the real world, we're incredibly tribal. We're incredibly racial, all right? So if people said what they meant, they wouldn't talk about, oh, I just want safe schools. No. If people said what they meant, they'd say, I want a school with no black kids, right? If people said what they meant, they wouldn't talk about safe communities. They'd talk about how they don't want to be around black people or brown people, right? If people said, oh, I don't want big government. I don't want socialized medicine. If they meant what they said, they'd say they don't have to wait for care around black people or brown people. They don't want black people or brown people, you know, sucking up most of uh, social welfare funding for various programs like social, socialized medicine. Right? When, when people say, oh, I believe in small government, what that means is that they don't want to subsidize black and brown people. They don't want to funnel a lot of social welfare spending towards these groups. Right? That's, what's, that's what's going on. It's not like election denial is all about election denial, because obviously it doesn't hold up on a, on a factual, objective basis. Right. But for Donald Trump, it's clearly about just protecting his ego. He doesn't want to lose. So we can't expect people to come out and say what they mean, and we can't believe what they're saying, that that's literally true. What is much more complicated than that. And so you have to kind of you know go under the surface to understand what's really going on in, in the world around us. So... Lee Kuan Yew, founder of the modern state of Singapore, says in multiracial societies, you don't vote in accordance with your economic interests and social interests. You vote in accordance with race and religion. All right. So 
the the basic divide in American politics at you have the core, the center, which is basically white Christian or friendly towards whites and Christians versus the coalition of the fringe, which is really only united by an antipathy for having whites and, and Christians ruling over them. So about the only thing that Jews, homosexuals, Asians, Latinos, and blacks have in common is an antipathy for the white Christian core ruling over them. And so we had this big dispute among four leading Latino politicians in Los Angeles. They had a private conversation that somehow got, got taped. So City Council President Nuri Martinez, City Council members Gil Cedillo, Kevin De Leon, spoke quite frankly about dividing power and territory. I'm reading from a column here. Los Angeles County Federation of Labor President Ron Revere, also part of the conversation. They used words about blacks that would not be allowed at an American Renaissance conference or in comments to American Renaissance articles. All right. But this is how people talk when they, when they are comfortable, right? The, the normal natural thing is to express a lot of antipathy towards others. Moses. If people could see what we were thinking, we would have no friends. Right? That's the that's the nasty nature of reality. Let's get a little bit here from Tucker while I get you think sort of. Steve Bannon was not at the Capitol building on January 6th. He didn't break any laws that day. He's not even accused of breaking any laws that day, but he was Donald Trump's chief political advisor. So today, Steve Bannon was sentenced to nearly half a year in prison by the January 6th committee. Why? Well, because in 2022, the Democratic Party puts his political opponents in jail. That's why. In a moment, Steve Bannon will join us for his first interview since the sentence was handed down. But first, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. It feels like permanent Washington has always hated Donald Trump. But actually, that's not true. For years, Trump was considered merely a joke in D.C., a celebrity sideshow. People were happy to have him to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And that was true as late as the 2016 primaries. There were still many professional Republicans, people you wouldn't expect, people like Bill Kristol, Joe Scarborough, people who were making highly positive noises about Donald Trump. And then it changed in a moment. It changed on February 13th of that year. Okay, thanks, Tucker. So a lot of uh, journalists have focused on the, the racism in this L.A. City Council meeting uh, that uh, the, the secret recorded uh, talks where, where they were saying negative things about blacks and Jews and Armenians. And uh, President Biden says that they should all resign and journalists are paying their primary attention to the putative racism in these recordings. I, I think these recordings show the most anodyne type of, of conversations, right? This is not nasty, right? If people were really saying what they mean, they'd be a lot nasty. So it was basically a conversation about redistricting. So Blacks in Los Angeles account for about 8% of the population, but they account for 20% of Los Angeles City Council seats, so they have disproportionate power in Los Angeles. Latinos occupy half of the city of Los Angeles, but they have less than a third of city council seats. So if we had a more representative democracy, all right, we'd have a lot more Latino seats and a lot fewer black seats. And so the Latino politicians here were talking about how they need to protect and expand their Latino districts and, you know, watch out for the district attorney who is with the blacks. Well, 
that is how the world works. All right. We've got a district attorney in Los Angeles who is very soft on crime. And uh, crime is committed in Los Angeles like other places, not in perfect representation of the various racial groups. Some racial groups commit a lot more crime than other racial groups. So uh, go, if you have a district attorney who is soft on crime, then yeah, he is throwing in with groups who commit an awful amount lot of, of crime. So I was looking at this New York Times article from, from a few weeks ago, and it's absolutely shocked that we have all these Republicans who legitimize the myth of a stolen election and then they reap the rewards. How did this happen? Right? So on January 6, 2021, the day the Capitol was attacked, 139 Republicans in the House voted to dispute the Electoral College count. Now, how on earth did we get here? So five days after the attack on the Capitol last year, Republican members of the House of Representatives braced for a backlash. So two-thirds of them had voted to dispute the Electoral College count. Does that mean they were really disputing the Electoral College count? No. People don't say what they mean. They just were making a gesture of defiance at a system, at a society, where they see liberals occupying all the high rungs of power. They see liberals controlling the means of intellectual production, essentially, in our society, as Ronnie Goldman puts it in his book on conservative claims of oppression. Right. So you had all this talk in the media that all these Republicans would be punished for inflaming the mob. And various Republican leaders says, oh, we have to we have to unite behind a clarifying message that Donald Trump had truly lost. But more than 20 months later, the very opposite has happened. Why? Because you can't take people on what they literally say. Right, The votes to reject the election results have become a badge of honor within the Republican Party. Is it because it's just so overwhelming to people that the actual electoral count and the electoral vote counting was, was rigged and fixed? No, that's, that's not what it's about. It's simply that professing doubts about the election have come to define what it means to be a Trump Republican, just like professing belief in Jesus Christ as your personal savior has come to represent what it means to be a Christian or professing observance to Torah law is a large part of what it means to be an Orthodox Jew. Right? People say all sorts of things simply to belong to a particular group. Right? I went to yoga for, for two years on an almost daily basis, and I didn't believe many of the, the mumbo-jumbo things that, that were said in yoga. I went there because I wanted to, to belong to the group, so I wasn't going to stand up and object. But just because I attended a certain form of yoga doesn't mean that I, I bought into it. So we had all these Donald Trump ploys to overturn his defeat. I think we all know that was just his ego speaking. We had these Republican lawsuits, which were all rejected by the courts. But guess what? People don't file a lawsuit strictly on the legal basis of the merits of their suit. Right? So you had all sorts of Republicans legitimizing Donald Trump's refusal to concede, giving new life to his claims of conspiracy and fraud, lending institutional weight to doubts about the central ritual of American democracy. This is what the New York Times says. No, what was going on is that you had a fist. Essentially, you had a note of protest sounded by Republicans that uh, they felt that the system had been rigged against them. Not necessarily the, the literal vote counting but they just realize they live in a world that's dominated by liberals. 
at the Republican debate in Greenville, South Carolina. That's when Donald Trump criticized the Iraq war. Quote, obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, he said. And of course, by that point, it certainly was obvious that it was a mistake. But that didn't mean you were allowed to admit it in Washington. You weren't. Thousands of lobbyists, think tank analysts, hack beltway journalists. Owed right. So supporting the Iraq invasion 2003 and the Afghan invasion 2001, obviously disastrous policies. <laughs> it's kind of amusing that to simply point that out and that overwhelmingly the foreign policy experts that you see quoted in the media, right, when NPR says things like, well, when Donald Trump said X, foreign policy experts say Y. These are the same foreign policy experts who overwhelmingly were behind invading Afghanistan in 2001 and invading Iraq in 2003, right? So their track record has been absolutely disastrous. They've been horrible. They have been so wrong. And yet they still get quoted in the media and in academia's, you know, foreign policy experts, Russia expert, you know, Saudi expert, Middle East expert, Afghan expert, even though they were dramatically, horribly, horrifically wrong. But in the media, there are always these, these foreign policy experts who are going to show you their expertise and, and show up uh, Donald Trump's claims or, you know, Republican claims. So the riot engulfing the Capitol January 6th so overshadowed the debate inside the Capitol. The scrutiny of that day has overlooked how Congress react, reacted and reached that historic vote. So what really happened? And this is actually a quite thoughtful New York Times article. It's from about three weeks ago. So it's much more than a simple rubber stamp loyalty to a larger-than-life leader. This isn't why Republicans are claiming the vote was fixed. What we've got is the orchestration of House objections it's much more a story of shrewd salesmanship and calculated double talk. Right? Calculated double talk dominates how people talk. People virtually never say what they mean. People virtually never give a damn about our groups. People virtually see the world in tribal terms, us against them. People don't like outsiders. They don't like people who are different from them overwhelmingly. This is how the world works, right? So the New York Times says this is all set against a back drop of demographic change across the country that has widened the gulf between the parties. Yes, when demographics are rapidly changing against your group's interests, right, people are going to have very strong reactions to that. Now, they're not going to put it in explicitly tribal terms, just like people will say good schools when they simply mean they don't want to go to schools with blacks around. People will talk about good neighborhoods when they simply mean neighborhoods with very few black people around. Right, but people won't say this out loud. So why did so many Republicans amplify Donald Trump's claims about the election being fixed? Right, so some of it was a way to placate Donald Trump and his supporters. But what most of them signed on for are the arguments of this low-profile Louisiana Congressman Representative Mike Johnson. He's the most important Republican architect of the Electoral College objections. So on the eve of the January 6th votes, he presented his colleagues with what he called a third option. So he faulted the way that states frequently changed voting procedures during the pandemic. He said it was unconstitutional because they changed these voting procedures without getting it passed by the legislature. So he supported claims about the 2020 vote being fraudulent without supporting the outlandish claims of Donald Trump and his most vocal supporters. So... 
Republican critics called this a Trojan horse that allowed vote lawmakers to vote with the president while hiding behind a more defensible case. So even the lawmakers who were the noisiest stop the steel firebrands took refuge in Mr. Johnson's narrow and legal claims. Now, his nuanced argument was lost on the mob storming the Capitol over time. It was the vision of the writers that a democratic conspiracy defrauded America that prevailed in many Republican circles. Now, this has become quite politically profitable. So Republicans have rewarded operators and objectors with grassroots support, paths to higher office campaign money. Corporate backers, remember, they weren't going to support Republicans who denied the 2020 election. Well, they've reopened their coffers to lawmakers. They once denounced as threats to democracy. Right. So when people say that, you know, Republicans are threats to democracy, that's just a way of saying something negative. It uh, isn't real. Almost all the objectors seeking re-election are now poised to return to Congress next year when Republicans are expected to hold a majority in the House. So objectors are going to fill Republican leadership posts. They're going to head a majority of committees. So they're going to play to Trump loyalists. They've made a slogan of election integrity. It's this dog whistle perpetrating the erroneous belief that Mr. Trump's victory was stolen. But how did we get here? So Republicans who object to the legitimacy of the 2020 election say, oh, we're just following the example set by Democrats who objected to Electoral College results in 1968, in 2000, 2004, 2016. So on those occasions, Republicans accused Democrats of damaging democracy and thwarting the will of the people. Now, here's the big difference between what Democrats did then and what Republicans have done after the 2020 election. Only a small number of Democrats joined those objections, which, and they all came after the losing Democratic presidential candidate had already conceded. So Trump only relinquished his claim to the White House the day after House Republicans and rioters failed to block the Electoral College count. Now, many Republicans are continually recasting their objections. So now they initially talked about defending the Republic. Now they say, oh, we only mean like a legal protest against certain COVID-19 rule changes. But some have moved the other way. They've more fully embraced Donald Trump's claims and the third way, the most popular way, was offered by Mr. Johnson of Louisiana. So he said that Republicans could simply accept the results of the election, or they could vote to object because of fraud concerns. Or the third way, they could take a different path. They could object at what he called constitutional infirmity. So the Constitution stipulates that state legislatures set election rules, yet some state officials, without asking their legislatures, just unilaterally loosened restrictions on mail-in, balloting, or early voting to deal with the pandemic. So you could argue these were unconstitutional grounds. To, this was wrong. This was against the Constitution, and you could reject the election results from those states. So this notion that Congress might have authority over state legislatures is unorthodox. But we have this constitutional attorney, Mr. Johnson, here, tells colleagues he studied up on the electoral issue, and he essentially put forth a procedural argument about the election. So that allows many Republicans to side with President Donald J. Trump without really explicitly and in full heart and mind embracing Donald Trump's claims of conspiracy and fraud. So it's like saying, oh, yeah, I, I believe in, in Jesus, but what does that mean? Do you believe in his literal divinity? No, I, I just mean that he, he was here to you know, show us a higher way.
So this is something that people often do if they want to belong to a group, but they don't want to get caught up in, you know, all the ramifications of belonging to the group. Let's get a little more here from Tucker. Their salaries and their reputations to perpetuating the lie that American foreign policy was succeeding. Everything was fine. No one really believed that. The evidence was too strong on the other side, but everyone had to say it. Too many careers were at stake. And yet suddenly here was Donald Trump refusing to play along, giving away the game in public on TV. The reaction to this in D.C. was violent and immediate. Donald Trump must be stopped. If Donald Trump was willing to criticize the Iraq war as a Republican, God knows what else he might say. The Never Trump movement that resulted from that year's South Carolina debate, and that's where it began, that movement went on to do all kinds of things, including subverting the rule of law in this country, as well as entire federal agencies. But one of its first efforts was a little-remembered spoiler campaign designed to siphon votes from Trump in the general election. A group of liberals in Washington, informally headed by Bill Kristol, recruited a longtime federal bureaucrat called Evan McMullen and convinced him to run for president. McMullen didn't seem like a president. Okay, back uh, what's really going on when Republicans cry about electoral fraud. It, it's really, in large part, the inchoate protest against a system that just seems rigged against them. So Democrats see an advantage in pushing for easier balloting, just making it easier and easier and easier to vote. Repug Republicans have long favored tighter regulations. So by state officials loosening voting rules without getting legislature approval, then Mr. Johnson argues this is the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine. So if the, the tree is poisonous, if the process is broken, cannot produce good fruit, however popular or unpopular as that may be. So if you're convinced the Constitution was violated in this process, then I'm not sure how the set of electors could be deemed acceptable, he added says the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case on the relative power of state legislatures and courts over election rules. So essentially, this one Republican argues the process that many states followed in changing voting rules leading up to the 4 2020 election was unconstitutional. So the primary Republican objectors to the 2020 election, disproportionately white, male and Christian. So of the 139 House lawmakers, 17 are women, 7 are black or Latino, and 2 are Jewish. So because of gerrymandering and the decades-long sorting of America into like-minded communities, north, south, urban, rural, all but a dozen objectors represent districts so solidly Republican that uh, they are bound to be re-elected. Now, many represent districts where racial and demographic change is just churning more swiftly than in other Republican areas. So... The more demographic change is sweeping in against your group's interests, the more likely you are to vote in a reactionary and right-wing way. So underneath the rhetoric about big government, small government, higher taxes, lower taxes, social welfare, spending, we're back to blood in the words of Tom Wolfe. It is race and tribe that, that tends to drive people. So the best predictor of Republicans hating Democrats is their level of racial resentment. Right. The more racial resentment you have, the more likely you are to vote Republican. So when Republicans want to offer official justifications for their policies and their stands, they're going to want to try to frame things, to couch things in the most socially acceptable way possible. 
So they have tend to rely on Mr. Johnson's constitutional arguments. So even many of the Stop the Steel ringleaders have adopted his constitutional approach. And uh, Senator Barbara Boxer says it's called covering your butt. Yeah, we're all covering our butt, all right? J just imagine what would happen if people really saw what we were thinking. Just imagine what would happen if your private conversations were made it public. Right? People don't want to be out front saying, oh, they support a coup. But when you feel like you are under attack, when you feel like your people's survival is under threat, you are going to react very strongly and then try to justify your reaction. So we tend to be dri driven by our emotions, and then we use our brain to rationalize and justify where we're going. So we have a lot of Republicans who have uh, joined with, with Donald Trump and uh, fueling baseless claims of election fraud by refusing to certify the results of last November's election, right? This is what the news media keeps telling us. Of the 100 largest publicly traded companies in the United States, half of them pledged to cut off funding Republican politicians who objected to the 2020 election. These boycotts were short-lived, right? 33 of these 50 companies have now resumed donating to voting objectors. So yeah, around election time, the big corporations come back around. Smart donors never abandon the objector's cause. So election integrity has become central to Republican solicitation for all sorts of issues. So if you've got something that pushes people's buttons, right, you're going to keep using it even if it is not factually true. So when it, when it comes to live streaming and talk radio, sports talk radio, the money is in being interesting. The money is not in being right. So the phrase election integrity is coded language. You're implying the election was stolen. And Republicans who run with this rhetoric are having a lot of success. Will you help me stop the left from stealing our elections? So objectives make up virtually all the incumbents backed this year by the advocacy group Club for Growth, which is a titan of conservative campaign money. And objectives who have doubled down have thrived. So people who signal their support for Donald Trump presidential candidate, he was 40 years old, never married, and very obviously odd, very odd. He had no trouble raising money. There were a lot of liberals happy to write him checks. The problem was voters. They were not impressed by Evan McMullen at all. By the end, he won half of 1% of the popular total and zero electoral votes. And he was soon forgotten, except on Wikipedia. And yet, and here's the point, six years later, Evan McMullen has reemerged. He's running for Senate in the state of Utah against incumbent Mike Lee. And amazingly, he could win. He could actually win. Now, if McMullen does win, his vote could very well give Democrats control of the U.S. Senate. How did this happen? How is this possible, you wonder? It doesn't make sense. Utah is a conservative, highly Republican state. Evan McMullen 
has the same politics and worldview as Pete Buttigieg. He is a liberal Democrat. Ah, but he's not running as a liberal Democrat. And that's the key to his success this year. Evan McMullen is running instead as an independent. And many voters appear to be under the impression that he actually is independent. But he's not. That's a lie, a transparent lie. Evan McMullen is roughly as independent as Kamala Harris is. He's considerably less independent than, say, Ilhan Omar. Evan McMullen is anything but independent. He is entirely controlled and has always been. McMullen even uses the Democratic Party's fundraising platform, Act Blue. His campaign has paid nearly $2 million to Democratic Party consulting services in the last year alone. That would include Precision Strategies, co-founded by a Biden advisor. Other firms include Foundation Strategies, Blueprint Public Affairs, and KMM Strategy. These are all partisan Democratic Party firms. In politics, you pick a side in the consultants you hire. And Evan McMullen has picked his side, the Democratic side. Not surprisingly, the creepy liberals at the Lincoln Project, who lie for a living, are busy pretending that Evan McMullen is not one of them. Oh, no. Republicans, they write. Evan McMullen truly represents your values. <laughs> really? Which values are those? Does Evan McMullen oppose amnesty for illegal migrants? Does he oppose race-crazed teachers unions? Does he oppose even Tony Fauci? No, of course not. Evan McMullen is fully on board with every anti-family scheme the Democratic Party has dreamed up over the last decade. As a supposedly faithful Mormon, he can't even acknowledge that Roe v. Wade was a bad decision. He is a neoliberal robot. There's nothing independent about him. Watch him read the Democratic Party's talking points, for example, on abortion. I am committed to the sanctity of life, but I think that means that means the lives of women. That means the lives of unborn, of, of course, and it means the life, the lives of children. And I think we've got to take a more comprehensive approach to that. But just the, to be clear, you don't support yeah. overturning Roe v. Wade anymore as you did in 2016. I'm just trying to get clarity. I do not. I do not think that that is the way for the country to move forward on this issue. Oh, so keeping Roe v. Wade is the way for the country to move forward. But of course, Roe v. Wade, whatever you think of it, froze everything in amber in 1973 and imposed the most radically pro-abortion regime from the courts on all 50 states. So, of course, you can't move forward under Roe v. Wade in either direction. This doesn't make sense. It's effectively pro-abortion. You don't typically hear Mormons talk like that. And in fact, Evan McMullen, as you just heard suggested, did not used to talk like this. In fact, back in 2016, he denounced Donald Trump, the guy who would eventually get Roe v. Wade overturned, because he said Trump wasn't pro-life enough. I'm the only pro-life candidate in the race, McMullen wrote in 2016. Four years later, after Trump successfully appointed several pro-life justices to the Supreme Court who overturned Roe v. Wade, McMullen has clarified what he means. He says pro-life. Turns out being pro-life has nothing to do with protecting children. Here's what McMullen said, quote, you aren't actually pro-life if you can't say black lives matter. Oh, right. Black Lives Matter, which is an explicitly pro-choice organization. Are you following all this? It doesn't make any sense. He's a liberal Democrat. And it'd be fine if he ran as one. Utah voters should know what they're voting for, and he should be honest about who he is. If you pay any attention at all to... McMullen's last three years in, quote, public life, it's very obvious. In 2020, he endorsed Joe Biden because he cares about Republican values. Watch. 
For many, choosing between these two Americas will require us to do something we've never done before, crossing party lines to support a unifying presidential candidate of another party. I believe Joe to be an honorable patriot who's loyal to the Republic. And that's why I plan to put country over party and in November, cast my vote for Joe. He's putting country over party by voting for Joe Biden, who not one time in his entire life has put country over party. So after endorsing Biden for office, and again, lots of people did, that's okay, don't call it independent. Evan McMullen did not act independently. So Dennis Prager makes this great point. Whenever you hear these calls to unify, it's always about unifying around that particular person's agenda. So if we're supposed to unify, what does that mean on abortion? What does that mean with regard to crime? What does that mean with regard to the death penalty? What does that mean with regard to marginal tax rates? What does that mean with regard to how many of our troops we station overseas, whether or not we launch new wars, whether or not we subsidize Ukraine to dramatically increase the risk of World War III and some kind of nuclear holocaust? Uh, I mean, most of these these calls for unity in America are absolute pablum. That'll do it for me for tonight. Take care. Bye-bye.